Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, folks. Rob Hessler here with another episode of Art on the Air, your weekly Savannah morning news special. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. Have a wonderful episode lined up with UK-born artist Ben Copperweep. He is a printmaker and fashion designer who's done work for some really big names like DKNY, Gucci, Tommy Hilfiger, and the like. And he is now a professor over at SCAD. We had a really interesting conversation about the twists and turns that his life took to get him to where he is today, how he became interested in the bright colors that he uses in his work, and the years that he spent doing fashion shows in New York City. It's a really fascinating interview, and I can't wait to share it with you. Wanted to mention, as always, you can catch past episodes of Art on the Air, as well as all of the writing that I do for the Savannah Morning News at savannahnow.com in the entertainment section. Got a couple of things coming up this week that you can catch, including an article about an event called Make Art Your Own over at Cork House Gallery in conjunction with Roots Up Gallery and a new column about local young people who have decided to make art their careers. Really interesting stuff there. And that one actually is in the lifestyle section. But let's get into this week's episode. Again, this is Ben Copperwheat speaking via Zoom all about his background, his art making practice, and how he has come to fall in love with nature with his move to Savannah. Enjoy. Rob Hessler here with Art on the Air, and I am speaking by Zoom with Ben Copperwheat. And Ben, it's a real pleasure to have you on the show today. And I want to dive right in because I think that you are one of the more unique artists here in Savannah with your very, very vibrant creations, um, fashion and more traditional artworks, I guess you might say. But how would you kind of describe your style for people who maybe aren't sitting in front of your work, aren't sitting in front of your website, bencopperwheat.com? How would you kind of describe your work to somebody who's listening on the radio right now? Uh, well, I would think neons for a start, like yes. bright colors, um, graphic shapes. I've been working with um, bright colors for like years since I was at art college. And um, I just felt drawn to them because they just brought me joy and made me feel more alive. So, I, you know, that's kind of really, I can't help but work with bright color. I try to work with a different color palette. And for many years, well, about six years, I worked at Calvin Klein, which doesn't sound like a place I would work at all, but I did. And they would have these really muted color palettes. And, and it was cool to work with them, but it wasn't really me. But that's the job of a designer is to just, you know, you work with what, a, with what the brand gives you. But um, in my own work, which I've definitely been working on more in the last 10 years, I, I just, 
Yeah, definitely bright color, rainbow for sure. Um, and, you know, just, just vibrant, really vibrant, graphic shapes, lots of different iconic motifs. And screen printing is my main medium. So I, I'm a screen printer for, by trade, really. So if people go to your website, for example, I mentioned bencopperweek.com, it gives your bio and I mean, your background and all of these amazing things that you've done, fashion shows and visual art shows and places that you've worked and all of these incredible things that you've done. But I want to kind of take a step back to before then, because like I mentioned, especially in a place like Savannah, what you're doing is pretty unique. You mentioned that you kind of picked up this vibrant color style back when you were in college, but let's even go back before that. Like when did you first kind of start getting interested in art? Like as a kid, you grew up in the UK, UK. Yeah. as a kid, like what, where did that spark come from? When did you sort of find, okay, art actually really speaks to me and it's something that I need to do? Well, I was definitely as a kid, I think Warhol was my first artist that I really focused on and was aware of. And, and as a kid, even around like 10, 11, 12, I was always obsessed with like New York City and Warhol and that whole factory scene and the, the kind of pop art, Lichtenstein. I just found it was really accessible and I just loved the feeling of, of, of that art. And I mean, Warhol's work has actually got, got quite a dark edge to it as well. Mm -hmm. And um, well, actually a lot of that pop art um, scene era. And, um, and I, th I think my work has a little bit of a dark edge too, but it's, um, yeah, definitely, you know, around 10, 11, I can't remember the exact age, but early age, I was really interested in um, Warhol and I used to, you know, look up his work. And when I would go up to London with my parents, we would go to the art galleries and I would see Warhol's work and stuff like that in the National Gallery of Tate. And um, so he, he was definitely my biggest inspiration from the, the get-go. Like Did you sure. notice at that time, even like at that very young age, that little dark edge? Did you notice that in that? Were you able to kind of consciously make that connection? Because I, I agree I, yeah. with you, but I think yeah, most people yeah. now, those images have become so commonplace that I think that in a way that's kind of lost to like the common, you know, to the, the majority of the viewers. But I agree. I think once you dive really deep into that stuff, there is a dark edge. Did you kind of notice that as a kid? Yeah. Well, seeing the, like the car crash series and even the Jackie Anastas, and there's just like a real poignancy or like uh, to some of those images and just the way they're reproduced. And when I was, when I was growing up, I actually had a really hard time growing up. I was bullied from like the age of four until 16 because I was gay and uh, even though I didn't really know what gay was when I was around that age. But um, so, you know, life was a little dark as it was. So I was definitely aware of that. And I didn't feel like I fitted in at all into my neighborhood and just anywhere really. So um, I can be honest to my parents about who I was. So I, I would use art as a way of escape. And then I actually really got into, which is going to sound a little cheesy is like Disney movies. So like, um, so I started drawing like Disney characters and this was actually earlier than the Warhol stuff. This was around eight, nine around then. And I would like draw like some of the Disney characters. And I was always really interested in the dark edge in the deep Disney movies as mm -hmm. well, like Snow, Snow White and um, Bambi and some of those movies, which now we think are like cheesy and Disney, but actually there's a really dark kind of side, poignant side, tragic side to those films. So when I was a kid, that's why I became really interested in. So I started drawing those and then I would draw other icons. Like I was obsessed with Madonna when I was growing up. Now it's like, kids are like, 
you know, you were like into Madonna because they didn't even understand who Madonna was back then. But back in like the 80s, she was huge. And um, so I would draw portraits of Madonna and Disney characters. That was like in my eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. And I became really interested in, in drawing stuff like that, like just doing portraits and, and whatever. So that was really my first connection with art. And I, and I guess I was really inspired by Warhol with how he did his portrait. You know, I mean, I wasn't screen printing back then, mm-hmm. but um, I didn't even know what it was. But yeah, so um, so yeah, that would be my my connection to the dark dark side of it for sure. Yeah. You know, it's interesting too. I think that the interest in Madonna because now you're really creating some cutting edge and interesting fashion stuff on with your own work, and she was pretty cutting edge in terms of fashion. And I don't, I think it's more yeah. like I think we probably could have noticed that but i mean she was thought of more of like a sex symbol and like obviously she was a huge pop musician that you know her music was all over the place but i mean i think probably more of a lasting legacy for her in a lot of ways is like the fashion that she was portraying like yeah not only in her videos but public appearances and all of that stuff that i think that's kind of interesting now all these years later that you've that you're really like entrenched in the fashion world yeah, and I was really inspired definitely by her fashion. Like, I loved the um, the Blonde Ambition. We, I went to see that when I was 15 with my parents and my the neighbour down the road. That was my first concert, Blonde Ambition, in 1990, Wembley Stadium. And um, my I, my mother and my mum and dad, my mum is actually pretty uh, young thinking in terms of music. Like, she loves Rihanna and Madonna, and they, they went to see the True Blue before I was when I was too young to go and see it, but we went to Blonde Ambition and I just, I was obsessed with the fashion, like all the Gautier and, and then just the outrageousness of the whole thing. I loved like the, the way she would like deliberately try and shock people. And when I was growing up, I was, I was like that too. I would like wear crazy clothes and bleach my hair. And I remember once I walked down the stairs when I was 14, cause I would do anything to try and shock my parents. They're like, I'm gay, but I wouldn't, couldn't tell them, but I would, I wore these like, <laughs> bright pink satin platform boots, which I got in Camden Market down the stairs. And my mum and dad just didn't bat an eyelid. They were like, oh, that's nice, Ben. <laughs> and my mum didn't even say anything. Like, But I still wasn't brave enough to tell them that I was gay. And actually, when I did come out at 18, which is another story, my mother was actually shocked. And I still can't believe that she was shocked, but she was. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I, I, I really like that shock element and just trying to stir things up because I definitely was like that as a kid, like always in trouble and um, didn't do well at school actually at all. I, I left school at 16. Uh, mm. I had all of my GCSEs. I had to retake them later on in order to get into university, but I, um, I didn't do well at school at all. So, which is kind of, um, you, people wouldn't, my students probably wouldn't believe that, but that's, but I didn't. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. So let's, let's take a step forward actually into your sort of college years and developing your style and kind of embracing the vibrancy, the bright colors, all of that with your artwork, yeah. because, you know, obviously you're kind of taking in all of this information when you're younger between Madonna, Warhol, all of these different events, the Disney stuff and, and, you know, all of that stuff sort of forms the foundation of what will eventually become, you know, your art, your, your personal artistic voice. Yeah. Talk about sort of forming that and kind of coming to a place where you're 
setting yourself down on the path that you're going to be at, like in the present day, because obviously you go to college and you start to learn. And I assume that's where you first learn screen printing and you first learn how to do these kind yeah. of things, which are, which allow you to execute the kind of vision that's been built in your head. So talk a little bit about that if you could. Yeah. Well, so when I was 18, so I had about two years out of once I left school, I worked for my dad doing engineering. And then anyway, long story short, I came out and my life was a mess. I felt like I had a lot of depression stuff. Anyway, my parents were like, you need to go to art college. So I, <laughs> they had a, they had a plan, you know, and I was always interested in art. And it was the only thing I did kind of good at school. So thankfully I had supportive parents and, and it was free to go to the college of the UK back then. So it wasn't like a financial issue. So um, there was a program that was like a two-year national diploma and you could do that without having to do all of the full academic. I mean, I still had to retake my English maths and do my A-level and stuff like that, but I didn't have to like do all of that other stuff. So I, I did that and that's when I started screen printing. This was really like early on and, and um, as far as like screen printing and I started getting, whenever I was screen printing, I would just always go for the bright colours. And then when I went to my undergrad, which was in Bath, which is a town about two hours out of London, um, that's when I started properly doing uh, working on textiles. And there's just a big textile culture in the UK. Like every university in every city has a textile program, which isn't like that here in the US. Yeah. So, um, so I I started screen printing, and then I just became obsessed with like repeat patterns. And my first prints, which um, I could send, I'll send you images of them. I did one of, this is going to sound totally bizarre, but I was obsessed with like the royal family and the queen in particular, because I found that there was something about the iconic imagery, which was related to Warhol. And then just the whole ridiculousness of of the whole thing. There's something very camp about, about the whole um, imagery and and the the pictures from the seventies and the Cecil Beaton portraits and all that kind of stuff. So I started doing um, drawings and I did a print of the Queen's corgis and, uh, <laughs> and it was the dog's heads. And I did it in bright colors. Like it was all like bright neons and primary colors. And, and it was like all different colors going throughout flat color. And then I did a whole series on um, these crown prints, which I no longer have actually. Most of my work I managed to keep. And then I did another one a series on in London, so like Waterloo Bridge, I did this print, and um, I didn't do any clothing actually in my undergrad, so that's that's worth noting. It was in my master's that did clothing, so I didn't really think about fashion too much. It was more like a 2D art. I was never interested mm-hmm. in sewing or anything like that. So that was really how I started getting into bright colours as far as into my textiles, and then there was just no looking back. I couldn't think about in any other terms of not using bright colours. So. Um, and it's just always been that way. Like, I, ju- I just, you know, they just make me feel happy. And then whenever I wear clothes, which are bright, other people are happy. And I never get negative comments. People either say nothing or they love it. So. Absolutely. Uh, oh, I mentioned it off before we started the recording is that, you know, the first time I met you, you were wearing this suit and it was just, it was one of your creations. And it was like, wow, this is so cool and unique and interesting to see in savannah you know i mean i met you first time in savannah and it's like i do think that there's a certain kind of craving for something different so talk a little bit about that those first times if you would when you're in your graduate studies of exploring fashion like when you first start saying oh you know what i should be wearing this stuff yeah well um that kind of really happened um as far as the real 
movement into fashion because um, my cousin Lee Copperweek, who is about 10 years my senior, he was actually teaching at the Royal College at the time, Royal College of Art, which is where I did my M MFA. And the only reason why I applied there, I didn't even know what that place was, nothing. But my tutor at the time in Bath said, you should apply for to the Royal College of Art. And I was like, wow, that sounds like a really important place. And, <laughs> and I was thinking in my brain, I would never get in there because <laughs> that's like where really good people or the posh people go or whatever. And I remember when... Um, Princess Diana died, which was in 97. Mm -hmm. um, and we went up to London to drop flowers outside of the palace. And we walked straight past the Royal College of Art because it's right on Kensington, opposite the, the uh, palace. And um, I thought, that's the college. Wow. And I just had it in my brain that I was going to get in there, you know? So I, I really just had that in my mind. And then when I finally got there, I my cousin was there teaching and we were never close because he's 10 years older than me, gay as well. And he had a clothing label in the nineties, very successful actually. And he actually taught Alexander McQueen to pattern cut in St. Martin's. Oh, so wow. They were very good friends. And um, then his label, um, he cl closed the label. It's very hard. In all honesty, it's very hard to make a label, clothing label work without a huge amount of money. I mean, that's just my experience. Um, it's very challenging to do it on your own. And he, um, they won awards and stuff. Anyway, they ended up closing it. And then he ended up teaching at the Royal College, which is what a lot of artists and fashion designers do, you know, as they teach as well to, to you know, to go get by in the quiet times, whatever. So he was teaching there. And then that's when I became really interested in fashion, uh, truly interested as far as like thinking about doing it myself. So I started screen printing on existing clothing, like um, T-shirts or vintage things or whatever. And I would just put my prints directly on there. And rather than just placing it in the front or whatever, I would do it all over. And, you know, I definitely was not the first person to do that by any means, but I don't feel like anyone at the time was doing it, especially in London. We were coming out of that kind of minimalism of the 90s mm -hmm. and, um, so then for my final collection of the Royal College, it was a two-year MA, he um, made all the clothes and then I did, I did the textile. So it was a great collaboration. And like I said, I'm not a sewer. I barely even sewn in my life, which a lot of my students are shocked by. They're like, oh, you've been in fashion that long and you don't sew? I never enjoyed it. Like I'm totally, it's totally a surface pattern. I'm a textile designer really by trade and a 2D artist, you know, 100%. So um so I'd always collaborate with other people, but the printing on the clothing just gave me a way of screen of making it work on clothing directly without me having to rely on someone else to make it. So, but for the final collection, he did do the so he did make the clothes and I did the textile. So and I've done that a few times throughout my career, but yeah. Yeah. So I want to kind of talk about that because you, you know, you founded that brand copper wheat with your with your cousin and and you yeah. and you ended up doing a number of New York Fashion Week events. Talk a little bit about that because I think our listeners would be really interested in what was that experience like? Uh, that was pretty wild, actually. Um, I've been, so that was 2009. So I'd already been in New York six years and I actually moved over to New York because of my cousin because he'd been over there a year or two before me and I was teaching up in Newcastle at the time and I, I just, I'd always loved New York and I'd visited there twice before and I was just obsessed obsessed with them for the second time I visited I'm like I've got to move here now 
So my cousin already moved there. He goes, just quit your job and just move out here. And I said, well, I'm going to see out the academic year. So I did. And then in the summer, July 17, 2003, I just got on the plane and I never looked back when I come back to visit the UK. So I, I worked at Calvin Klein for five years. I just got this job by taking my portfolio around the city. There was no internet, really, internet portfolios or anything. And I got a job within the first two months and they sponsored my visa and but in 2008, I quit my job there and terrible time to quit the job. But I decided. <laughs> no, I'm like, financial collapse. It was, just, it was just before the crash, actually. And I, I was like, you know, there's no growth here. I want to like do my own thing. And, and I'd already been doing some prints on the outside for other designers, like Stephen Burrows and Peter Song. Stephen Burrows is like a legend in uh, New York fashion. And um, he was having a resurgence in the 2000s. And I did, did a few um, pieces with him. Anyway, long story short, I, my cousin and I said, let's do our own label. So we both called it Copper Week because his last name's Copper Week. And we just cobbled together and did it, did it all on like a real budget. Like uh, the good thing about the market crash was that you could just get free spaces to show your work for free. Now these spaces will cost a lot of money. So our first show was at the Maritime hotel in the meatpacking district and they just gave us this use of the space for free and we wow. would just get favors off of people to do the styling or to do it was just all favors really and we didn't really have any money to be honest um so we did that collection and we got some good press and stuff then we did another collection we just kept moving forward but we didn't really have that much business we weren't business savvy, to be really honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then we did four, four other seasons. We did a couple of orders for Harvey Nichols in Hong Kong and then some other store in Japan. We barely broke even. I mean, it was just, everything was handmade. So we did five seasons of that. And I have to say, I'm still proud of that work. But ultimately, our relationship did not survive that period. Um and we actually haven't seen each other in 10 years. So, oh, that's uh, so unfortunate. That's so sad. Yeah, it just was not a healthy situation. Anyway, long story short, I, I moved on and then went back into doing my own printing on clothing myself. But, you know, it was, it was a great time. I mean, it was awesome to show on your fashion week. And it was, just, it was just something that you probably couldn't do in the same way now. You know, it would be, you'd have to pay for the space. It would be expensive, you know, and it would be kind of, a, it was just really open after right. the market crash but the downside was no one was really interested in edgy menswear so it was <laughs> um it, it was great for press and it looked awesome and we had a great time but it, commercially it was not not a good not a good thing yeah right oh well that's cool i that's a that's a cool experience though it is that sort of right place right time lightning in a bottle kind of thing that's yeah. that's a pretty cool cool thing so let's let's kind of fast forward to the present day because you know, now you've moved to Savannah, you're teaching at SCAD and you're continuing to do your work. You're, and I mentioned, you know, like, you know, you're talking about New York and London and these places as you've been before. And what you're bringing to Savannah is very different than I think you might find in those places. Like it's not necessarily out of the ordinary to see somebody walking around New York. I'm not saying necessarily in the exact same kind of clothing that you're creating, but in something that is so different than what people are used to experience. There's a lot of different cultural makeup in, in New York, in a place like New York or London, where there's this whole wide variety. And there are little niche groups that are supportive of those various 
little pockets of creativity. So I kind of right. wonder, like, what is your experience? You've been here since 2018. What has yeah. your experience been like here? I mean, you say that people are complimentary of the work that you're doing, but I kind of just wonder how people have embraced you, not necessarily within the SCAD bubble, and I don't yeah. know how much you've been outside of that bubble, but like just as a community, because I think what you are doing is really interesting, really different. And certainly it's going to be something that most people here haven't been exposed to. Right. Well, it's been interesting since I've been here. I moved here in the 2018, started SCAD 2019, beginning of, and so we had a year and that was really just getting used to SCAD, which was intense. Now I've, now I'm totally, you know, averse in the whole experience, but it was, it was a lot. And, um, but I, I really took a hiatus with my work for about a year, year and a bit. Um, and I really started getting back into it more in COVID times, but I, I just needed a break after leaving New York. I was totally, I have to say, pretty burnt out. I'd been in New York City 15 years. I was in my 40s. I was ready to leave New York. And I have to say, I don't, do not miss it. Um, I was ready to leave. And there was something about moving to Savannah that reminded me of when I moved to Bath and... Bath is about the same size as Savannah. It's historic, built around the same era, totally looks different. It's hilly, but it was like a, a safe haven, a lot of nature. And, when, and what attracted me to Savannah was all the trees and the nature and the flowers. And I was like, wow, this place is just what I need. And, um, and in New York, in Brooklyn, I was living in Bushwick, Williamsburg area. I barely saw a tree. You know? so mm. I found it depressing in the end, to be honest. I really did. I found it was, um, it just didn't vibe with me anymore. And um, so when I moved here, I really just took a year to just really enjoy the experience of being here. I lived downtown. I rented an apartment on Chatham Square right next to the building I taught teaching. Um, so I lived there for a year and a half. And I just really enjoyed it. And then now I've, I've moved out to Magnolia Park and bought a house out here. And that's been a whole other experience, just getting used to the house and decorating it and all that stuff. And I got a whole, the reason why I bought this house, there's a whole separate building in the back, which is my studio. So I've now, in the last year and a half, just started working in there, like screen printing. But a lot of the work I've been doing has really been a way, a vehicle to show my students different stuff. And it's been nice to actually just create work without the pressure of selling it, the pressure of showing it, um, the pressure of surviving to pay the rent which was my experience for about 10 years in New York of all of those three things. So it's now nice to just do it for the pleasure of it. And, and gardening, I love gardening now. That's my <laughs> new favorite thing. Like with all the crazy in the world, I go out and all the azaleas are blooming in my garden. And it's just like, it's so beautiful. So now I've, I've been getting, really getting back into nature and bringing that into my work. Um, I'm working on some new work at the moment, which is going to involve some of that and some other subject matter. But um so it's, but as far as the community, it's actually been great. I mean, um, everyone's been really supportive. I haven't shown here yet. I haven't done any sales. And I have a couple of friends say, when are you going to do a sale here or like a pop-up or an exhibition? I'm like, ah, you know, I'm going to, I'm just kind of, not, you know, I'm not when I'm ready. So <laughs> I just don't feel in a hurry here, you know, which I, I know that is very typical. That's, yeah, that's very typical. So, <laughs> so, and I just don't feel, it's nice to just, enjoy life in the moment to be honest and not feel that pressure but i i am feeling that now hitting this new year i am feeling that like urging me and that kind of spark that i hadn't felt in the last three years and this kind of hunger to start creating again and 
start showing and um, a friend in LA is, is helping me get my work, my clothing out there. And I just did an outfit for him and he's been wearing it out to freeze and different stuff. And I have a couple of commissions I'm working on for the clothing and there's some art stuff. Oh, I'm also going to be the artist for sand arts, SCAD sand arts. So they okay. me. Yeah, so I'm actually doing a commission for them. And Lisa Runstrom of Hello Neighbor, who I know you know, she um, is the sand arts coordinator. So we're going to be working on that. That's so, a great collaboration. I love that. Yeah, so that's going to be awesome. So I'm actually going to be working on a whole new set of, a whole new installation more for the beach and some fashion. And it's going to be like a whole thing for SCAD sand art. So and normally they don't, they don't hire professors, but it just kind of happened because the other artists fell through and Lisa, we know each other well. She's like, Ben, you should do it. Anyway, it worked out. But, when is that so going to be? Really when, when is that going to be? It's going to be May 6th out on Tybee. So uh, May 6th, I think in, from 11 a.m. till the afternoon. I might have to yeah. hit up Lisa and, and talk to her about that for the radio show yeah. or, or for the paper because I love that and I love Lisa. She's great. I mean, she's just, she's great. So Yeah, and then I'm working on Hello Neighbor with her. We're doing, a, well, she's the main thing for it all, but we're doing, I'm helping her with a, there's going to be a Hello Neighbor event on Mar- April 9th at the Ed Market Arena Plaza. So it's, it's a collaboration with the city of Savannah. So um, I'm helping her with that. There's a few of us, but that's going to be April 9th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. So we need vendors and artists and performers. <laughs> so putting that out there. So so that's the big stuff happening this year. And then, you know, maybe have to do some kind of art show here or something. But I, I haven't really been in a huge urge to do anything crazy, just going with the flow and letting it kind of evolve. So, you know, I know that sounds a little <laughs> savannah, but that's, that's where I'm at. <laughs> that's great. Well, Ben, look, I, I want to wrap this up. But yeah. I, I'll mention here, first and foremost, that if people want to meet you, then head on out to that end market event and just look for the guy yeah. in the incredibly awesome fashion with you. I'm, Cause I'm sure you'll be, be wearing one of your, one of your pieces. Now, Ben, if people want to get a hold of you, people want to check out what you're up to. I mentioned bencopperwheat.com, but what's the best way for people to do that? What's the best way for people to follow you, connect with you, Instagram, that kind of stuff. Yeah. My Instagram is just my name, Ben Copperwheat. So super simple. And you can also just email me. My email is ben at bencopperwheat.com. So I'm always, I'm still working on different art or even just connecting with other artists. I've even just been meeting up with people post COVID saying, let's go for a coffee because I only know you on Instagram. Just slowly getting to know people in the community. I mean, I'm still early days here and then with COVID, which has just been a spanner in the works. But um, now we're coming out of that, hopefully, I'm, I'm kind of making an effort to just connect with other people. So awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ben. I appreciate it. Thank you, Rob. Thanks. That's all the time we have for this week's episode of Art on the Air with your host, Rob Hessler. Listen every Wednesday for our live show, broadcasting from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on 107.5 FM, Savannah Soundings, and worldwide at WRUU.org. And you can catch past episodes on the WRUU station archives on our website, as well as on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. We'll talk to you next week, where we'll have another batch of art on the air.
Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.